Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to Talk Water, a Bluetech research podcast series focused on providing water market intelligence, a place where we discuss new and emerging water technologies, growing markets, and how the future of the water sector is being shaped and changed by the broader mega trend of the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you very much for joining us. And again, a very warm welcome. On today's episode, we take a look at biotechnology and its role in water. We'll then follow that up with a look at the growing interest in industrial stormwater, looking at regulations and the effect this is having across several manufacturing facilities and industries in the United States. But first, let's hear from our research editor, Reese Owen, about Bluetech's work this month. Reese, thank you very much for joining us. Um, can you give us a quick update on the things Bluetech looked at last month and the things we're looking at now for the first quarter? Sure, we covered a variety of topics in December. Uh, of course, uh, every year we round off the year with our water almanac, a summary of the year. So that gives us a insight into a roundup of the most impactful pieces of research that we did throughout 2017. And we heard from each of our technology advisory group members on their specialist area with uh, many presentations on everything from dissolved air flotation to brine management challenges and developments within nanofiltration and membranes. Uh, another piece of big news in December was the, uh, the fact that Oasis Water, the pioneers of forward osmosis technology, ceased trading after nine years and raising wow. over 70 million. Uh, it's bad news for the company, of course, but we believe that the technology itself will carry on what we call the selfish technology gene very, very likely that somebody will buy the IP and the actual techniques and the technology itself will carry on pushing forward. And this is something we see happening Mm -hmm. a lot within the water industry. We also examined uh, a slightly unusual area for us, uh, the market for decentralised wastewater systems within African countries. Decentralised systems are becoming much more viable thanks to the advent of the Internet of Things, Uh, lower chip prices and the ability to remotely monitor and maintain uh, wastewater facilities. Mm -hmm. So we've got a a report out which examines some of the more innovative players in terms of cross-country markets using decentralised systems. And we reported from a conference called the um, Microbiome Conference, which is the first of its kind, it was organised by Microbe Detectives and covers the world of metagenomics. That's analysing DNA to optimise the use of microbial communities within wastewater treatment and biogas generation. That's one very relevant application. And this is possible because of the massive fall in the cost of DNA analysis. It's gone from costing around $1,000 to analyze one megabase, that's a thousand base pairs of DNA, it's fallen from a thousand dollars to a fraction of a cent. So in a way that's mirroring the Moore's law uh, growth in uh, chip uh, capacity and and, and cost in computing. So that opens up all sorts of possibilities in terms of optimizing the way in which digesters and biogas generation works because you can refine the, uh, what the microbial community needs. Mm-hmm. 
This month, we are expecting to finish very soon uh, our latest report, uh, a horizon scan into anaerobic digestion of high-strength industrial wastes, especially in the food and drink sector. We're looking at how various companies deal with the challenge of uh, changeable wastewater characteristics, uh, which can often damage the microbial community in a bioreactor. And we'll also be looking at the latest developments in reverse osmosis, this is an update of an innovation impact analysis, which we did uh, three or four years ago. And we'll be looking at how the pain points of uh, things like biofouling are being addressed and the potential for new developments such as 3D printing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to for the next month. And we'll continue with our conference roundups and technology assessments throughout 2018. Great. Thanks, Reese. And just to touch upon a few things that you mentioned there, the microbiome conference again a topic that we're looking at very closely at blue tech forum is biotechnology and as you quite rightly mentioned the cost of dna analysis has reduced drastically which allows us to analyze samples a lot quicker but i think the broader theme for blue tech this year as a whole is circular economy and a couple of the other things you mentioned like decentralized systems helps with that and we're going to be increasingly talking about that this year a number of the topics relate to that and of course the theme for blue tech forum the event in june is also very much circular economy that's right and we're going to be uh, hopefully hosting a lot of very exciting companies as last year in this area and uh, yeah it's it's the, the whole area of uh, biotechnology and the circular economy are going to transform the world of water uh, just as much as the advent of digital technologies. Those Absolutely. are the main themes we see happening. Super. Great. Thanks very much, Reese. Thank you. Okay, we're going to switch courses now a little bit and talk about biotechnology in water. It's an area that is picking up. Corporate leaders are now looking towards biotechnology as their innovative solution to sustainable business practice. So whether it's to augment agricultural productivity, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, create an innovative disease therapy or diminish the use of pesticides, corporates are looking to meet today's energy, food and environmental needs without compromising the earth's resources. By detecting microbots that are able to motor around water samples, collect harmful pathogens like E. coli, degrade them and then remove them from the water without a trace, we can produce clean and safe drinking water. Biotechnology is a topic we will cover at the 2018 Bluetech Forum event. And we have online with us today our keynote speaker on the topic, Jens Holland, Vice President at Novozymes, who will share more with us on this. Jens, hello and, and thank you very much for joining us today. I want to discuss with you the application of biotechnology in water, but maybe we can start at a higher level first and talk about the biotechnology field in general. What do you think are the main trends that are shaping industrial biotechnology in the coming years? So I think uh, uh, biotechnology is really coming into uh, the mainstream in a lot of different uh, industries, uh, adding uh, value in in our daily uh, lives. Um, Let let me give you a couple of of examples of, of that. Um, one area uh, when you buy a detergent in a supermarket, you will have enzymes uh, in it, and that allows us to uh, wash laundry uh, even at uh, room uh, temperatures. Um, we also seen that uh, we're able to put uh, just the right uh, microorganisms on the surface of uh, crop uh, seeds, which allows uh, agricultural plants to grow faster, increasing yield and, and reducing the, the uh, consumption of, of fertilizer. Um, also, we are uh, we are able with biotechnology to 
transform uh, agricultural waste into uh, bioenergy, uh, leveraging uh, different technologies and in that way uh, providing sustainable uh, energy. So those are some of the places where biotechnology is really taking a, a bigger uh, role. I think some of the technologies that's going to shape uh, the future, and if you look at what's really happening in the field of biotechnology, mm. um, one thing is that the uh, cost of information has really been declining significantly. Today we uh, have uh, incredible methods of getting access to DNA, understanding, probing communities of microorganisms to really understand uh, what's been going on. And all of this happens at a fraction of the cost which uh, which we saw in, in the past. Um, uh, and I think we also are starting to be much better at making sense uh, of that uh, information. Uh, we're able to simulate uh, uh, how uh, biotechnology can, can do things, both at the molecular level, but also at the systems uh, level. Uh, so a lot of uh, stuff is happening within the field of uh, information, uh, digital uh, biology, and, and so forth. Very interesting. And bringing this back to water, then, how do you think this can be applied in water? So, um, so I think the the first uh, area where these new tools become relevant is actually getting a much better understanding of what's going on uh, in a water treatment plant. I think we are uh, able to uh, answer the questions. Are the right types of uh, microbes uh, present uh, in in the plant to mm-hmm. perform the process uh, we want? Um, uh, let's say to reduce uh, COD, ammonia, phosphorus, uh, so on. Um, but I think the other uh, area is uh, our ability to actually find uh, new solutions that target specific compounds in wastewater is also uh, improving greatly. Um, we're able to both uh, find uh, microorganisms, we're able to find enzymes that can target very specific uh, compounds or reactions, um, which opens up new opportunities within uh, wastewater uh, treatment. And of course, it's important to say that the effectiveness of biotechnology is also uh, improving a lot, which means that the return on investment is getting much better, and that also allows for, for new applications of, of biotechnology within uh, water. And, and I think you'd agree if we say biotechnology is being applied uh, or is already being applied in, for biological treatment, for example. Well, I think uh, biological uh, water treatment is, is common uh, practice and it has been around for, for a long time. Um, but I think it's also fair to say that biotechnology and taking advantage of these uh, new ways of, of looking at what's happening at, at the, uh, the uh, molecular uh, level has not really been uh, adopted at a mm-hmm. wide scale in, in water treatment. And I think that opens a tremendous uh, opportunity for, for biotechnology. And what are the obstacles to apply biotechnology on a wider scale f- across the water sector or, or water in- industry? Well, I, I think um, I think it's important to say that if we want to get the full uh, impact of biotechnology, uh, we need to think beyond just uh, adding uh, microorganisms or enzymes into an existing process or an existing uh, water treatment plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I firmly believe that uh, success relies on combining uh, the knowledge of biotechnology with innovations in terms of equipment, chemicals, uh, new design of uh, plants and, and processes. And those technologies playing together um, will, will, uh, will be the future for, for biotechnology in, in water. That's, it's very fascinating. And 
in terms of technologies or companies, uh, are you can you share with us uh, some companies that you can think of that are able to um, lift the task of applying biotechnology successfully at scale? So I think uh, Novoscience as a company, we are we are a biotechnology specialist, and, and that's where we are we are uh, coming from. But um, but I think success uh, relies very much in partnerships with some of the more uh, traditional water companies that uh, specialize in the application of water, and also are able to combine uh, biotechnology with mm-hmm. uh, other uh, innovations in in, uh, in technology. Um, I think we also try to. Uh, uh, to work with a broader set of stakeholders. I think uh, part of it comes from uh, existing uh, large uh, corporations, um, but I'm also convinced that some something have to, have to happen in the grassroots, uh, within academia, within startup, within equipment companies, and so on. Um, and I think uh, in, in NovoScience, we are uh, just recently launching an, an open innovation platform to bring together some of those stakeholders to see how we can uh, tap uh, into that uh, network and basically uh, use them on the common purpose of applying uh, biotechnology in, in water. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Jens. That was a great introduction into the topic of biotechnology. And we're going to be looking at this in more detail next year. And we're also going to be looking forward to meeting you and hearing uh, your talk on biotechnology at the Forum event. So thank you very much. Thank you. And finally, let's hear more about stormwater. Bluetech research analyst Aaron Partland catches up with Ryan Yanok a self-proclaimed stormwater geek and founder and chief of Mapistry, an organization active in the stormwater space, offering a smart solution for managing stormwater compliance. A lot of our clients are investors who just want to look at what's upcoming and new right. and going to be important. And this stormwater is such an important question to answer. But there really isn't a lot of attention paid, paid yet on industrial stormwater. So industrial stormwater, for those unfamiliar with it, is every like manufacturing operation, whether it be like a concrete ready-mix plant to a trucking distribution center that has maintenance going on to a food and beverage plant has to have an industrial stormwater permit in the U.S. to operate. That's part of like one of their core environmental requirements. It's called you know right to operate, basically. Um, and that's what's driving a lot of this compliance around industrial stormwater is these permits that these facilities hold. But permits have a lot of requirements. It can be training, it can be record keeping, it can be inspections, it can be sampling. It also may be some sort of best management practice or control measure, which is the treatment systems. Could you give me three take-home points? Maybe for those who are not as well versed in stormwater, but just the general takeaway. Yeah, biggest thing, number one, is there's a lot of risk involved with industrial stormwater, especially for non-compliance. Under the Federal Clean Water Act, there's a provision called uh, citizen lawsuits. Citizens can sue on behalf of the public and regulatory agencies saying that a facility or a company did not follow the Clean Water Act or did not follow their stormwater permit. So you have these citizen lawsuits that get filed against companies and facilities for not following everything in their stormwater permit. And in California, it's uh, it's very litigious. There's a lot of these filed. And, and it used to be maybe one or two a week would get filed. Uh, for example, the first three weeks of July, 33 got filed. So the rate has increased greatly. Uh, we're seeing it spread to other states. Um, there was a recent settlement between EPA and environmental groups that will change the way permits in other states 
will likely look in the next couple of years that'll be very similar to California. So we could, we, we anticipate that this litigation aspect and risk aspect spreads throughout the country. And that's number one takeaway is there's huge uh, risk, both from a financial and operational standpoint. Uh, not even thinking about like the environmental risk of stormwater pollutants going mm-hmm. in water, but right. huge risk associated with not paying attention to industrial stormwater. That's number one. Um, number two takeaway is uh, that people at the facility themselves, you may be giving responsibility for environmental compliance to a facility manager, a plant manager, somebody that doesn't understand environmental like we might understand environmental or water. Um, so educating them around not only is there an environmental risk that all those little bits of metal wash off their site and go into the nearby stream, but there's a financial risk to the company that they could get sued if they don't pay attention to this. And this is not somebody else's job or something to be blown off. Uh, the facility manager, the plant manager has got to take this seriously because there's huge financial risks around it if they don't. So educating staff is probably the number two takeaway from it. Um, and number three is overall, this is becoming more and more important, like I was talking about earlier, is California's got a very stringent permit, Washington's got a very stringent permit, but all the other states in the U.S. that have these permits, they often model them off the federal permit out of U.S. EPA. Because of this lawsuit, that permit's going to be changing in the next couple of years, and it'll look a lot more like California's and Washington with very strict requirements around record-keeping, inspection, sampling, and also requirements that if you're samples that you collect are above a certain level benchmark limit, you have to do certain DMPs, which may involve treatment systems of some sort, treatment devices. So uh, big takeaways are huge financial risk. Make sure like your staff knows what's going on. And number three is pay attention to this because this is changing and it's, it's coming to the rest of the U.S. It's not just a California thing. Let's talk about the technologies that will maybe assist users in meeting the requirements, or you know, not get sued. Yeah. So typically, you're not you're you're not putting in technologies until you have like a problem, usually until you have collected some water samples and there's uh, there's exceedances. And when I say technologies and that, that's more like treatment technologies. Right. Right. From technologies like us at Mapistry, software-wise. Companies are using our technology software from day one to file for a permit, to create maps, to write the plans, to start, you know, implementing all these requirements of the permit. They're using our technology to do that. So there's kind of, when you say technology, that's like a big, broad category. Um, There's software technology like we do. There's sensor technology, so you know when something's flowing or a certain flow rate. And then there's treatment technology, which is removing copper from stormwater. Um, most times people say technology and they think uh, it's treatment, you know, it's some sort of treatment system, granular activated carbon to remove some pollutant out of um, Technology to us means day one, how do I comply more efficiently, more effectively with permits through something like software? Can I automate a lot of this compliance? So in the scope of regulations being enacted in the future, um, this category where you guys fall into you guys are relevant now to companies that are looking forward to these regulations coming in? Oh, or will yeah. they wait until something happens? I, uh, treatment technologies? No, they'll probably wait. For us, yeah. we're relevant today, tomorrow, in the future because there's a, there's a huge problem with complying with it at the basic level. Any state, uh, even before the permit changes hmm. to a more stringent permit, 
today our software technology can make it easier, faster, cheaper to comply with these permits and keep them out of those lawsuits and, and ensure that they're actually complying with the permits they're supposed to. Because all these requirements are, are there today, they're only going to get more stringent. So what we see is like really innovative manufacturing companies is if they can put our software in today, they're set up well for the future. Um, even in states that might not be so litigious now, but we know are going to be in the future, they've already created that like defense network. They, they know at corporate that all their facilities are in compliance, they're meeting all the requirements today, and no matter what happens in the future, they've got a really good system in place uh, to kind of defend against the litigation and violations from regulators. Yeah. In terms of the treatment technologies, what would you say would be the time frame for a company to be successful if they are um, going to be applied for these regulations to come in? So if there's a company started now, would it die before those got implemented? Or you know, like what is the timeline for a new startup to get in on treatment technology? Yeah, on this new. Yeah, um, for industrial stormwater, it's tough for treatment technology companies to kind of get into place. I think they've got a much harder stance to get uh, out there in the marketplace before the, the new before permits become more advanced. I mean, Washington. State and Oregon is a little bit ahead of California on treatment technologies. You see some like treatment technologies going in there. California this year, there's a lot going in, um, but even still, there's a, there's a reluctance to adopt treatment technologies. Um, my, I have a couple of beliefs on the treatment side. One is I think you can avoid it with a really strong programmatic approach from the beginning, which you know we're successful at keeping a lot of companies out of trouble. Um, from stopping things. So that hurts the treatment vendors <laughs> if we're really successful from a software standpoint because people then don't have to buy a half million or million dollar treatment system. Um, so that can hurt business from a treatment technology like startup or company perspective. The other thing is uh, a lot of companies like to build it themselves. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big advocate of like DIY treatment systems, even though I've worked for a lot of treatment system companies helping them get through approval process. But uh, this DIY approach, and we talked about it a lot, we did a whole workshop at our summit on it, but taking something like activated carbon or zeolites or biochar, bioretention media, and creating downspout filters or treatment systems out of it, uh, because manufacturing companies, they have staff that can build things, that's their whole job, is to build all this cool stuff. Uh, we can teach them by applying what we know in stormwater engineering and design to what they can do manually, um, and they can end up build their own treatment systems for it. So we see a lot of that uh, is companies building their own treatment systems, taking especially on different types of filtration media, or even taking like old chemical totes, the 275 gallon or 325 gallon chemical totes, and with like 100 bucks in PVC pipe and some activated carbon, you can build a really cool, effective treatment system for a few hundred dollars versus buying one for mm. five, ten thousand dollars. So. Yeah, there's, that's one of the hurdles that a treatment technology vendor faces is they've got to give something to these companies that's truly different than what they could build themselves or what's on the marketplace today. That seems like, uh, is it specific to stormwater then? That's the idea that technology is, can be pretty simple to treat stormwater issues. Yeah, and it's, I think, unique to industrial stormwater because even like the post-construction municipal stormwater, you have to go through all this certification process for treatment technologies, but industrial is very much like a prove-it type of permit. Either you meet the permit levels or you don't, and 
you don't have to go ask for somebody's approval of your treatment system. You, know, you don't need it certified by the local regulator to install it to try to meet your permit requirements, like under the municipal permit. Um, the state of Washington says you have to use one of these approved technologies. There's nothing like that for industrial stormwater. You don't have to use one of these approved technologies. You can just use what will work best and what will get those limits. So I think that's interesting. I think it's a very like, fair marketplace. It doesn't favor one or the other. And it, I think, promotes a lot of DIY approaches to it. And there was a third category you mentioned, which was sensors. Yep. And do you think that companies are being proactive and trying to get the data of their own water before they're required to, or...? Not at all. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody's really pushing that um, from a stormwater, industrial stormwater perspective. You're starting to see a little bit in the municipal stormwater space. Um, but one of the things we're starting to kick off is a couple of pilot projects uh, in the next year or so around that on the industrial side is looking at can we, can we start grabbing some data before we have to go take an actual sample and send it to the lab? Can we know about potential problems? And because we're a software company, we can pull that data in with all the other information we know about lawsuits, about your inspections, about your maps, about your lab sample data, and even start to use that to figure out a profile of like, are you at risk of violating? Are you at risk of getting sued? So it's just another data source to us. Mm -hmm. Do you think that outsourcing stormwater treatment maintenance would be a solution? It could. Um, I think companies aren't really willing to pay for it today, and that's that's a problem. There's also other ways of like outsourcing. There's some proposals out there to do like regional stormwater treatment for industrial sites in California, which is kind of a novel permit compliance approach. And it's something that isn't even adopted yet. It's still, um, the draft documents are supposed to come out next week. So it's a very like new situation uh, in LA County, particularly LA Department of Water and Power is looking at how do you do uh, approach stormwater is like a, uh, a resource rather than a waste product and how can you use that resource to reinfiltrate continually have a drinking water supply mm -hmm. so looking at can we get industrial stormwater into the ground as a resource and infiltrate it in and then reuse it as our drinking water source for LA so it, there's a lot out there right now but I think as I said like the market's just starting it's just scratching the surface on all these things um Maybe there's an opportunity from a treatment side, uh, from a system provider side around that, like using it as a resource. Because if we take it all the way through activated carbon and maybe then run it through like reverse osmosis, then we can potentially like use it as a drinking water source in one site. I think we're a ways away from that. I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but it, it would be nice if people treated it as a resource. But water use in general, is, is that a trend? Oh, water? Uh, yeah, because in industrial sites you can use uh, water for like dust suppression, like in a scrap metal yard, you can use it to suppress dust. It's great, you can use it for all sorts of things. Um, you can even use it for like rinsing off a truck if you have an unpaved site with lots of dust on it. Maybe you take your stormwater and spray down the truck um, and then let it evaporate. You're just washing off dirt, you're not adding anything to it, you're reusing the water, you're letting it evaporate like everybody wins. You don't use potable water, you don't use... Uh, you don't have to discharge the water and potentially violate your permit. There's a bunch of really good benefits around it.